You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. I'm going to be talking tonight about peak performance. How many know that in the uh, athletic arena, if a runner runs, you know, he does a little stretching out before he runs? And how many know that an opera singer does their vocal scales before they do the opera? And anybody in sports always prepares beforehand so that they can always give their best. Well, I'm talking tonight about how to receive God's best and not his less. And when I talk about this topic tonight, I'm going to be showing, sharing some things with you that will put you in a position that you'll be able to receive God's best rather than his less. And there's too many people that I've run into over the years that live and die and never really experience God's best in their life, they're always involved with less than what God would want. And we're going to cure that tonight by what I call the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith is when you have this feeling that is associated with your faith that you're going to win, that you're going to remove that mountain, you're going to overcome that mountain, you're going to prevail over that mountain, and it's something that a believer needs to have when he's facing sickness, when he's facing financial problems, when he's facing resistance in the home and so forth. And so I'm going to show you how to stir that up and how to change the way you feel in a situation by faith in God's Word. Amen? And we're going to look at some basic verses, and I'm going to show you some deeper verses. But look here in John chapter 10, verse 10. We could quote it, but I want you to take a look at it. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, a couple things. Number one, the word life there is zoe. It's a very unique word because it means it, it, it's talking about the life that comes directly from God. It's used in scripture by uh, vitality or the vitality of creation itself, the life, the grass, the trees, human beings alive, all that stuff. That's what it represents. And then Jesus said, I came to give it to you abundantly, which means super abundantly in your life, beyond what you need. But it compares it to what Satan has brought into our world, which is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so what I want to start with tonight is I'm going to show you in Scripture the condition a person is in when Satan is stealing, killing, and destroying so that we can change that condition in ourselves and receive a blessing. Amen? Amen. Now, look at this verse. This is one I very rarely preach on, but put up on the screen, Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to read through you. This is a list of people that are in a condition, a spiritual condition where Satan will steal, kill, and destroy. And look what it says. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for they are previously charged, both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. Now watch this next part. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's uh, none who understands, none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. 
Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they are a practice to see. They are a poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. Now, what I want you to see from this description, he's talking about people who are spiritually dead. And let me, let me sum it up like this. You can be a born-again Christian and still have a condition like this. Because if you were to put it all together, it would be this. People who are predominantly condemned, predominantly guilty, predominantly in fear, will always open a door in their lives for the destruction of Satan. In other words, Satan will always have a way in their life to bring lack. He'll always have a way in their life to bring sickness. He'll always have a way in their life to wreck their marriage. If they're in that wrong state. And I want you to write down a very, very powerful truth that I'm going to share with you. It's a, a truth that will tr transform your, your, your life and put you in a state of blessing rather than cursing. And that is this. Whatever you identify with, you become subject to. Turn to your neighbor and say, whatever you identify with, you become subject to. Come on, say it like you mean it. Whatever you identify with, you become subject to it. Now, what I mean by that is this, that if you are consumed with guilt and condemnation and fear in your life, you'll become subject to it. You'll be subject to cares and worries and fears and lack will follow that in your life. But on the other hand, a positive side, if you are, if your mind is set on who you are in Christ, that you've been made the righteousness of God, then on the other hand, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be in a position where you're going to be subject to God's promises. Subject to his peace, subject to his joy, subject to his love. And you're going to have a feeling inside of you that you can win and you can prevail in your life because you are thinking about and consumed with the right things rather than the wrong things because when you're thinking about the wrong things, it makes you subject to those things. Does that make any sense? Now, I want you to look in Romans now, chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. Just laying a little foundation here. That was a condition of those that Satan is stealing from. Here's a condition of people who are not being stolen from, but they're being blessed. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, talking about Abraham, that it was imputed to him, talking about righteousness, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Now, watch this who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. I don't know, there's a lot, there's so much in that, it's just pregnant with truth. But he's telling us then that when you believe on Christ, Christ then was handed over to our offenses to be punished. So we wouldn't have to be punished. But he was raised up so that we would be justified. In other words, he was raised up so that we'd have the right to a blessed life. We'd have the right to prosper. 
We'd have the right to be healed. We'd have the right to seek and receive good things. We'd have the, have the right to, to move mountains. We'd have the right to be more than conquerors. We would have the right to have great families. We would have the right to do that. Amen. And I don't know about you, but to me, that is really powerful when you see it in that light. The problem is a lot of people, the reason why they feel the way they feel about their life is because they've set their mind on the wrong things. They've set their mind on the fact that they made a mistake. They set their mind on the fact that they failed at this. They set their mind on defeat rather than victory. Because whatever you set your mind on, you become subject to it. I don't want to be subject to fear and anxiety, but if I'm setting my mind on every failure and every fear in my life, I'll become subject to it and it'll control me in my life. And I'll find myself overwhelmed by worry and anxiety in my life. And it'll rob me of the peace of God. But if I send my mind on the fact that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that I'm more than a conqueror, that in him I cannot fail, that his word inside of me will never be returned void. If I set my mind on that, I become subject to the power of God. I become become subject to the glory of God. I become subject to the love of God. I become a subject. Oh, my goodness. Come on, church. And I wanted to bring that out because what you identify with is going to determine the outcome of your life. If you identify with the wrong things, you're going to have a negative outcome. If you identify with the right things, which is Christ in you, you're going to have a positive outcome in your life. Now, we ought to get excited right now. Come on, church. Come on. Give God praise right now. Get ready. Get ready for this. This is powerful. Now, here's the part I want you to see. You only move up in life as far as you feel you have the right to move up. No more, no less. If you feel like you only have the right to live this level, that's the level that you live at. If you feel like I only have the right to live this level, then that's the only level that you're going to live to. But what's so powerful is that Christ was punished for us, and because of Christ, he ascended up high and sat down on high, and now we have the right because of him, not us, to receive an unlimited level of God's best in our lives. We don't have to settle for what is less because it's not determined by ourselves. It's determined by Jesus. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that you got to really think about it to grasp it. John 14, 1 makes this powerful proclamation. Jesus says, believe in God and believe in me. Let me say it again. He says, believe in God and believe in me. For a believer, it's not enough that you believe in God. You have to believe in God in you. 
You got to believe that when you got born again, God took up occupation inside of you and you're no longer by yourself. You are united to Christ. God is inside of me. The apostle Paul said it this way. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. God lives inside of us. Well, I was excited about it. I, I was expecting a little more from you in that thing here. And, uh, but let me show you the power and what that means. Uh, you know, when Joyce and I, we first got married, she was Joyce Lee Coates. And when she married me, she took on my name, Holt. And let's just pretend for a moment that when she married me, she was broke and I was a billionaire. We're just pretending, okay? So when she took, when she said I do to me, she got rid of her last name and then took on my, uh, uh, my last name and became an instant billionaire. That's exactly what happened to you when you believed on Christ. You took on his name. And he came to abide in you. And now the Bible says you're joint heirs with Christ, which means everything that Jesus has, you got. Everything that Jesus is blessed with, you're blessed with. Everything, 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 everything. He has the right to be healed. He has the right to have dominion over everything. Now you have the right to have dominion over everything because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's powerful. And I think sometimes we don't do that, and that's why we don't feel like we can win. We don't believe right because we don't think right. But the reality is, I'm a joint heir with Christ. It's not 50-50. I get everything Jesus has, and he gets everything I have. But just like when sometimes people get married, one spouse gets a better deal than the other one. <laughs> Say amen, everybody. Well, that's, what, that's the way it was, you know, when I got married. My wife actually had more money than I had. But, but when you marry Christ, whew, you get the best deal out of the whole thing. Hallelujah. And you got the right to a better life. And I'm just believing that as you begin to believe this, you're going to be able to feel like you can do it. Begin to feel like, hey, I can take on that mountain. Begin to feel like, hey, I can pay off that mortgage. Begin to feel, hey, I can get that house on the beach that I'm believing God for. Ah, come on, come on, everybody. Am I just the only one here excited or is it going to happen? This is what God wants to do. But we have to remember then that whatever you predominantly identify with, you become subject to it. So if you've had some failures in your life, which we all have, it's easy to get outside the word and start blaming yourself. Say, well, I made this mistake. This is my third husband. This is my fourth husband. This is my fifth husband. I've known people that have had five, six, whatever. But you're, it, what happens is the devil will use that, and then you're in a position where you are in a condition spiritually where condemnation, guilt, and fear dominate you, and you become subject to it, because subject to the worries. I, I'm never going to begin married again. All the good guys are gone. 
but when you believe in Scripture and the Christ that is inside of you, and you become dominant, become subject then to the promises. Yeah, that's mine. If anyone is going to get a hundredfold return, it's going to be me. If anyone's going to get healed, it's going to be me. If anyone's going to break barriers, it's going to be me. And you become subject to the word of faith in Scripture. And that begins to change you in a great way. I want you to write this down. You need to feel good about yourself. If you feel like you're a low life, feel like you're not going anywhere in life, feel like you're uh, an accident, if you do that, you're in a condition where Satan will come at you. And you're going to be subject to demonic activity that you would normally not be subject to. But if you refuse to accept that and focus in on the Word of God, that's not going to happen in your life. And that's why in Scripture you find Jesus. He's really good. He doesn't just heal people. He always removes the obstacles that prevent them from being healed. Like the four friends that had uh, the, their friend that was on the, the pallet that couldn't walk. They couldn't find their way into the house of the climb up on the roof. They let him down through the roof. And you would expect Jesus to heal him, but he doesn't do that. He says, oh, by the way, your sins are forgiven. All of them. Now, I don't know what kind of sins he had, but obviously Jesus wouldn't have said that unless it was necessary to get him healed. It was blocking it. It was that state he was in that would have prevented the healing power of God from working in his life. And, and we know this is true even in the New Testament because James said this, said the prayer of faith will save the sick. And if you've committed any sins, they shall be forgiven. And God will raise you up. So obviously it's an issue even after you're saved. Now I want you to look at this verse with me in the book of Isaiah. And this will really help you. Isaiah 43, verse 25 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, this is important you see this. He says to blot it out. It means there'll be no record of it. In other words, whatever happened to you 10 years ago or last week or last month is gone in God's eyes. Your credit in heaven is not affected. You don't have bad credit because you've had bad relationships. You don't have bad credit because you, you missed church a couple times this year. That's not the way it works. God blots out your transgression. And notice what it says. For my own sake. Oh, my goodness. For my own sake. In other words, I can't really minister to you unless I do this to you. Because if you're in that chapter 3 condition, I can't set you free. But if you get in the chapter 4 and 5 and 6 in Romans, then I can set you free. you got to be in that right condition. And you find this all through the Bible when people are trying to get a miracle in their life. There's always a struggle that goes on between the fallen state and the risen state. Come on, everybody. In other words, all of you have those times when you're starting to doubt and you're in the fallen state. And, but in the fallen state, you can't get resurrected. You can't get blessed. But in the risen state, that's when you're more than a conqueror. That's when you feel like you can move mountain. That's when you know that your faith is great. Come on, say amen. In the risen state, not the fallen state. I remember the story of Jacob. Jacob had deceived his brother out of his inheritance. 
And his brother was so angry about it that the scripture says that he wanted to murder Jacob. So in the story, Jacob takes off because he's afraid of being killed by his brother. Time goes by, the years go by, people do their own thing, whatever. And he, remember, he works for Laban. And while he's working for Laban, his uncle uh, changes his wages 10 times. And he's in the same type of, type of predicament where he's wrestling with his mistakes rather than who he is right now in the Lord. But the angel Lord has mercy to him, appears to him and says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell Laban that your wages are going to be spotted in speckled sheep, which is a, a very rare um, commodity of sheep that breed. And so he begins to envision. He started to see something different than he saw before, and God prospers him. So he changed what he saw, and he changed his life. But as the story goes on, his brother hears he's in, he's in the area and comes. And you know it's not a social visit because he comes with 400 men. When is the last time you visited somebody with an army? When was the last time, you know, you came over with guns and swords? Come on. I mean, it's obviously his intention was to kill Jacob. So he's sweating it. He's got the inheritance, time has passed, but he's worried about dying. And all of a sudden that night, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. God's merciful to him, but he's wrestling. He's trying to conquer God by his own strength. God touches his hip, goes out of joint. He can't do it, but he's got enough sense to hang on God. And the angel says to him, what's your name? And he says, Jacob. Now, the angel said that because when he deceived his brother out of his inheritance... He lied about who he was. His father was blind pretty much and was giving out his inheritance, but he only did it by how he felt. And Jacob said he was Esau when he's actually Jacob. So he gets real with God, tells him when it is. And then God changes his identity. He says, now you're no longer going to be Jacob. Now you're going to be Israel, one that prevails with God and with man. All of a sudden, Jacob, who is sweating it, now feels like he can make it. Now feels like he's got overcoming faith. Now feels like he's more than a conqueror. Now, because he changed his identity. Now he sees himself as a conqueror instead of someone defeated. See, some of you have been seeing yourself defeated for so many years. It's like a pattern. And you come to church, and sometimes preachers will put you down so much they kind of fit right in with your negativity. You got to change that. You got to be listening to preachers that build you up and tell you what you can do instead of what you can't do. You, because whatever you are mentally think about all the time is what you're attracted to. And I want you attracted to success. I want you attracted to a good marriage. I want you attracted to goodness that changes your life and transforms your children. That's what I want. And so in the story, he gets victory simply because he had started to identify himself as a prevailer, an overcomer. You can't be a Christian and be successful if you see yourself as a failure. You got to see yourself as Christ in you. Jesus didn't fail on the cross. Jesus didn't fail when he was resurrected. And that's who's inside of you. And you are one spirit with Jesus. Oh, my, my, my. Come on, church. Give God praise right now. That's just...
really, really, really powerful. And what this does is it makes you feel good about yourself. And a lot of people, particularly Christians, have a very low, 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 low self-esteem because they don't have that esteem that comes from Christ in them because they don't focus in on the right things. Let me give you an example of this very practical. Guys and women are different. A woman, her esteem, her value is elevated when she knows the people around her love her. When her kids love her and her husband loves her. A guy's self-esteem is elevated when he accomplishes something. When he takes his gifts and talents and is successful in it. And, and that's why uh, on Valentine's Day, you can buy your wife flowers and, and uh, have it at home. And she comes home and she'll give you a little peck in the cheek. You know, thank you, baby, for the flowers and all that. But it has the, doesn't have the same impact if you have them delivered on her job. The guy comes in with all these roses, walking through the office, who are those from? Oh, that's for my wife. That's for little Joyce here. That's for Susan. Or that's what, oh, I can't believe your husband did that. And all of a sudden, her self-esteem's going through the roof. Yeah. I'm valued, praise God. I'm valued. And they'll never have overcoming faith. A woman never have overcoming faith if she doesn't have high self-esteem. She won't. She thinks she's nothing. Her faith will just go so high. Does she believe she's significant, powerful? And the guy, on the other hand, you know, the wife buys him the card and all that, and he says, oh, that's sweet. Thank you so much, baby. But he doesn't take the card to work and say, oh, by the way, guys, look at the card my wife got me for Valentine's. Look, and she put a little, a little heart on there. Yes, yeah, he doesn't do that. Can you say amen? So you, you, gotta, you got to... Enjoy yourself. You got to like yourself. The Bible said rejoice in the Lord, but the Lord's in you. you so you got to rejoice in you if you rejoice in the Lord because the Lord's in you. Maybe I'm just talking to a dead crowd tonight, but I, I want you to see this. You, you got to enjoy who you are and like who you are in Christ because Christ is in you. Amen. I'm not just some ordinary dude. Bible said in 1 John or John 1:12, it says, as many as received him, Jesus, they were given the authority or the right to become the children of God. People who don't know Jesus are not the children of God. They're not begotten by the Spirit. Jesus said, your father is the devil because they're spiritually dead. Once you get saved, you are birthed by Christ. You're his offspring. When you get up tonight and go home, God's going home. When you get down to pray, God's praying in you. Because of Christ inside of you. Oh, my goodness. And that doesn't mean you're some kind of supernatural superhero, but it does mean that Christ is inside of you. And when we pray in faith, oh, I'll tell you what, something wonderful is going to happen because of Jesus. So you've got to have that 
that self-esteem. Now, uh, that's exactly why in the Bible it says that husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. What did Jesus do? He showed the world that he loved them. How do you build a woman up? By showing her that she's loved. It isn't the money that you give her. It isn't the home that you give her. It's not the car you give her. It's not the allowance, which I wouldn't do to any woman, but some people do. It's not, that's not what makes her feel like she's loved. It's when the person behind the gift it knows, she knows, loves them. All right, moving right along at a very fast pace here. Some of the guys are nervous, but it is good teaching. Praise God. Amen. So I want you to see something here, and this is going to bring us to another, another point in this message. A lot of people get the idea that the only way to find happiness is the absence of trouble. In other words, if I don't have any trouble, I'll be happy, but as long as I got trouble, I will be unhappy. Is that really true? If you were to remove all the trouble in your life, would that guarantee you that you're going to be happy? Good question, isn't it? A lot of people think that's what it is, and they spend their whole life trying to be in a situation where there's no trouble. But I'm going to share with you tonight that God literally will allow trouble in your life so that your joy can be made full. So that the power of God can be increased in your life. It's powerful. There's a preacher, a very positive preacher that I heard this illustration from him. is really powerful. And he was in his hometown and he was walking around and he ran into an old friend. And the friend was like a lot of our friends. This friend that day came over and his head was kind of looking down and he's just, you know, hi, you know. You could tell something's up. You know, tone of his voice, hunched over, obviously not very happy. And then he does the fatal question. Is everything all right? And the guy proceeded to talk about this problem and that problem. Oh, I got this problem, I got this problem. And it went on for 15, 20 minutes. Talk about it. I said, I got all these problems in my life. They're everywhere. I'm just miserable. As so the preacher, being a smart preacher, he wants to give the guy a solution. And he says, listen, I want to tell you something. This will really help. I know a place in town here where there's 150,000 people that are happy. Or let me say it again. I said that wrong. There's 150,000 people who don't have any problems. And his ears perk up and he says, well, what do you mean don't have any problems? And then he looks at him and he says, you remember down on 10th Street, the cemetery? And he's making a point, he's making a point that the only way you get rid of problems is if you're dead. The only problem you might have if you die is where, where you're going, amen? But if you know where you're going, there's no problem. But the problem's removed. 
And I think sometimes Christians mess up in this area because we're in a world that God has called us to prevail in for Christ's name's sake, to put all the enemies of Satan under our feet. And any great success, there's always going to be a problem that you have to face to reach that level of success. If you don't have that problem, you'll never reach that level of success. And what I like what James says, he says, count it all joy. Why? Because when you face a problem that's stopping your marriage from being better, you know once that problem is removed, you're going to have a better marriage than you ever had before. Or once you're facing a problem that makes your finances bad, once you overcome that problem, you're going to have more than enough funds that you ever had before. Or maybe your problem is a health issue, but once you overcome that health issue, you're going to be healthier than you ever were before and have the wisdom to stay healthy in your life. Come on, church. Praise God. So the power of God is literally increased when you feel like you can do it in Jesus' name. In other words, when I got that spirit of faith, I believe that I can overcome. I believe I can do this. I believe I can conquer this. I believe I can prevail in this area. I believe that I can walk and shout and eat gum at the same time. I believe I can overcome. And when you do that, boy, I tell you, it changes you. It really changes you because faith, many times we don't feel like it's working, but I know that once faith is in you, there's a feeling inside that you're going to be healed. You're going to win. You're going to succeed. You're going to break through those barriers. And what we got to do is keep that love and feeling in our lives through scripture, through the word. By feeding on the word of God, you'll be able to do it. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this in scripture. You remember the book of Haggai, that book that all of you read every morning. It's a story about a prophet that speaks to the children of Israel that were scattered all through the, all through the lands. And God says, all right, I, I'm going to open up a door. I want you to come back to Jerusalem. I want you to build the temple. Now, remember, they have been established in other parts of the country. They've built farms, built houses, had vineyards, cornfields, shepherds, all that stuff. They had done that in other parts of the country. So 20,000 of them, they estimate, listened to God and came back to Jerusalem to build. But how many know that whenever you pursue a vision, it always increases problems? Before, all God had to do is bless them with what they did on their field and, and homes. But now they got to be blessed not only to get a reestablished, but they got to be blessed enough to build this building. They got to deal with the inspectors, they got to deal with the government. Amen. They got to deal with the banking system. I deal with all that. Now, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And so they run up, and, they, and all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute, there's more problems now than there was when I was back home or back at my old place. And so what do you usually do when you face a problem? Make it up an excuse why you, you don't have to face it right now. So they said, oh, it's not God's timing yet. So they backed off. And then the same blessing that helped them wherever they had 
planted their soles of their feet was not enough to prosper them anymore. They would sow seed and, not, and nothing would come back or not enough. Their clothes would wear out. Everything was falling apart. But yet before, when they were in different parts of the country, they, they were fine. But now they came back and God asked them to take on a bigger problem than they had before about farming. Now they got to build a building. But they backed away from the problem. And then you know what is crazy? They repent and they go up in the mountains, bring the lumber down. All of a sudden, God increases the blessing in their life so powerfully that they not only their house could be established and the farms could be established, they could build the building that God had told them to do. And all of a sudden, they're going up instead of down. All of a sudden, they're winning again. All of a sudden, they're overcoming. But they wanted to back away from the problem because it was an addition to the things they were already facing. I want to tell you right now that if you want a great marriage, you're going to have problems. You're going have to face. If you want to have great kids, you're going to have problems with those kids. If you want to have a great life, you're going to have problems, but you just stand up and take them in Jesus' name. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to seek the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to keep my mind set on what I am in Christ, and I'm not going to pull back in any way, shape, or form. Amen. Now, I want to read to you a promise that was given to these group of people that is one of the greatest promises in the Bible for, in day, for the end-time churches. Look what it says. Haggai. For thus says the Lord of hosts once more, in a little while I will shake heavens and earth and the sea and dry land. Woo-hoo. How many say it with him? There's a little shaking going on. Come on. I will shake all the nations, and, and, and they shall come to the desire of nations, which is Christ. And I will fill the temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, he's talking about at the end of days when there's a great shaking going on, that's when the problems are going to get bigger, but God's blessing, his powers are going to get bigger. Yeah, we've had COVID. Yes, we've had, we've had racism. Yes, we've had anger. Yes, we've had all that stuff. But I'm telling you right now that if we blaze through that problem, that the power of God will increase and increase and increase and increase and increase, and God's glory will be poured out of the church, and the church will be healthier, wealthier than it ever was before, because there's a whole lot of shaking going on. So if there's a lot of shaking going on, it means there's a lot of power that God wants to release. Amen. Look at our society, completely out of mind, completely insane, completely insane. No common sense, just right out the toilet, gone. A shakening of governments, a shakening of culture, a shakening of people's identity. Think about that. A shakening of Disneyland, a shakening, a shakening, a shakening. Is now is not the time to back off. 
Now's the time to say, I'm going to set my mind on things above. I want to be subject to victory. I want to be subject to winning. I want to be subject to overcoming. I want to be subject to winning instead of losing. I want to be subject to the authority of Christ. I want to be subject to the love and peace of God. I want to be subject to the joy of the Lord, not subject to fear, not subject to anxiety, not subject to COVID, not subject to despair, not, come on, come on. I don't want to be subject to that. But you're going to have to set that mind on Christ in order to do that. Here's what I've learned. You'll never have great faith if you're a pessimist, period. You may not want to hear that, but it's true. You know why? Because a pessimist, when he looks at something, all he sees is what is wrong. And he becomes subject to the things that are wrong. He becomes subject to his worries. He becomes subject to his fears because all he sees is what is wrong. And you'll never have great relationships if you're pessimistic towards your spouse. Well, our hair is not long enough. He's fat now. He doesn't have the energy he used to have. He's lost so much hair. I remember when he was so young. I remember when he was smart. Now, you can't look at people like that. You have to look at their qualities. He's wiser now than he ever was before. He's got more common sense in his little finger than he had when, he, when we were dating, praise God. Because when you do that, you become subject to whatever you give attention to. Let me ask you this question. It's a spiritual question. Who makes more money? It's a good question. The engineer that makes airplanes or the guy that manufactures parachutes? Who makes more money? The guy that manufactures parachutes or the guy that engineers airplanes? The guy that engineers airplanes makes more money you always reach higher levels of success with an optimistic view than you do with a pessimistic view you got to approach those problems optimistic and say boy i may not know what it is now but i can see here's a good thing i can do here and faith will begin to react from that and you'll begin to believe god begin to believe i can do this i can do this i can do this and then when you read your bible you won't try to come up with all these reasons why that promise won't work you're going to go, that promise is for me. Hallelujah. Negativity is one of the greatest curses in the world today. It's something that I've struggled with for years and years after I got saved. And I'm, I'd like to say I'm there yet, but I'm not. But I'm definitely working on it. I'd rather have a smile on my face and find an optimistic view about people. If I didn't, I couldn't stand shepherding. Because people screw up. Amen. Amen. And if you get pessimistic about me, you want me out the door before the door is, the night's over. Say amen. Because negativity will always lead to a negative conclusion about where you're at, who you're with, people, organization, the country, all that. And faith never grows in that. We got to raise up. In fact, stand up right now. We got to be optimistic about our future that God has for us. We got to be creators instead of destroyers. We got to find 
the qualities in people instead of find the faults in people. We got to find the value and what they can do and how they could be mentored and how they could become great than rather looking at everything that's wrong in their life and their track records. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. What matters is right now what you do. That's what matters. Today can be a new day that you can change your life, transform your life in Jesus' name. And if you're looking for a spouse, which I know uh, there's a big demand of that in the church today. Uh, there's a lot of single people. For whatever reason, they don't want to get married. If you want to get the right person, you need to be optimistic. If you don't, you're going to attract a negative person. My wife is one of the most positive people on this planet. And I needed that. I married her. I married someone that I knew was positive. I mean, when I, I give up on people and she goes, oh, no, don't do that. They have this quality, that quality. I said, yeah, but I want to beat it out of them. We need that. We need that. Life's too harsh and hard. And tonight, I know a lot of you worked all day and you're probably tired and weary and wish I'd shut up. But I want you to see the value of this message tonight. That what you predominantly think about, you attract. Make a decision tonight. I'm going to think about my rights in Christ. What do I have a right to? Do I have a right to a vacation home on the beach? Say amen in the back. Do I have a right to have my house paid off and give an inheritance to my children's children? Do I have a right to have a marriage that is so good that my wife still chases me around the house? Do I have the right to be healthy? Live long, prosper, die on your feet. Amen. That doesn't mean we're going to be hard on anybody that doesn't get everything that I'm talking about. But why not believe for it? Amen. Lift your hands up to heaven right now. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you tonight for your mercy and grace. I pray, Father, that every person here would leave edified, would leave prepared. And Father, I thank you right now for building us up for greater things, building us up for mountain-moving experiences. Thank you for giving us this ability to know we can do it, this ability that, to know that our kids are going to come around. This relationship issue is going to be solved. This financial problem is going to be solved. Father, thank you for this. Thank you. We're going to set our mind on those things that we have a right to we're going to set our mind on it Lord and then we're going to be subject to it we're going to be subject to opportunities we're going to be subject to raises we're going to be subject to bonuses we're going to be subject to favor thank you Father I thank you right now Lord for just causing us to be healthy wealthy and wise Thank you, Lord. Many people here are going to step into opportunities that would never happen unless they had set their mind on the right thing. But as they set their mind on it, doors will open. 
things will happen. They go, oh, I never thought that, you know, that blew my mind, but it just happened. That's because you set your mind on the right thing. So you became subject to an opportunity. You become subject to favor, subject to health, subject to it. Father, thank you for it. Lord, give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.